Hey, y'all ready for the word, church? Hey, buckle up. It's going to be good. You know why? You know why it's going to be good? Because it's God's word. And every time God's word goes forth, man, and you're ready to receive like you are now, it, only good things can happen when you receive the word of God. If you ever feel like, man, when you receive this word that you are being stepped on, if you ever feel like, like God is reminding you of your sin, if you ever feel any of that, you're in the wrong place because it's by the words of grace. It's Jesus' own words that go forth that change your life. He, the only reason we come together is to be built up, the Bible says, to be encouraged by one another. Never to be defeated never to be to, to be made to feel guilty or shameful that's not for you church i guarantee you when you leave here today you're going to be reminded of who you are and what's been done for you amen are y'all ready to receive the word i said are y'all ready to receive the word man don't make that listen i understand if you're a football fan and you have that that, oh, we got the spirit. Yes, we do. We got the spirit. How about you kind of mentality where it's like this side versus this side, man. We are one today. Yes, man, it's going to be good. And by the way, we all have the same spirit. In Christ, we all have the same spirit. There was a time before when we might, we might have had different spirits. Sometimes on Friday, we had six or seven different kind of spirits. <laughs> Just keeping it real. Hey, but now we have one, the Holy Spirit. And by the way, when the Holy Spirit is in you, there's no room for another spirit to be in you. You cannot be possessed if you're a Christian ever. You know why? The Holy Spirit's in you. And where the Holy Spirit is, those other spirits, Satan can't be around it. Can't be around it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good place to start. So Jesus revealed on Mount Sinai. Listen, we all know that Moses went on Mount Sinai, but we're going to see that that whole thing was about Jesus. You remember this kind of series we've been in where we've been talking about how Jesus walked with those disciples, right? And he's walking with them and he's telling them all the things concerning himself back in the Old Testament, starting in the book of Moses and all the prophets, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. This is just another story where, where the Lord is going to teach us to look for Jesus in every area. Are you ready to do that? Hey, let me tell you, whenever you look for Jesus, you'll find life. You'll always find life. So let's pray. You want to pray with me? And Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is always truth. Thank you for that it is going forth with great purpose. The God, that it will change lives, that it will heal people this morning as your word goes forth. Thank you for revealing Jesus in every area of Scripture. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. And God, we receive it today. We receive all that you have for us in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. That actually is a picture of Mount Sinai today. You can, uh, you can go and Google that, but. It's uh, we know what happened on Mount Sinai. Anybody want to tell me what happened on Mount Sinai? What was given on Mount Sinai? The law was given on Mount Sinai. How many times did Moses go up Mount Sinai? Anybody know? Two times, right? He went up there two times. Both of them for 40 days. Both of them for 40 days. We also know that the Bible always, not always, but mostly it compares Moses and Jesus. Okay, one of my favorite verses that changed my outlook on Scripture about four or five years ago is this verse found in John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came. It's one thing to give something to somebody from afar, but when you show up, it's more personal. And let me just tell you this. Some people say you can't just preach grace and not the truth. You got to preach, you got to sprinkle it in there a little bit. Grace and truth are on the same side. It's the law. The Bible says you got to rightly divide the word of God. Well, he's done it for us right here. Amen. 
Yeah, isn't that beautiful? So grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says uh, the law for Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. Do you believe, church? Yeah, then the law is not for you. God says, I'll write new laws on your heart. New law. He will give you new laws. You won't have to try to keep them. The Bible calls it the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. That's what it is. Understand if you're visiting, I'm not against the Ten Commandments. I'm just, I'm for them for the reason God made them, which is the point to Jesus. I am not under the Ten Commandments anymore. And if you want to talk about it later, we can. If you want to send me a nasty email, I won't read it. I know who I am. And I can back it up with scripture. We do it every Sunday. Listen, it's not for me. If the Bible says Christ is the end of the law, that means that it ended for righteousness. I'm, I, and listen, I, it doesn't mean I'm going to go out and murder somebody. <laughs> right? He writes those laws on my heart now. He gives me new laws on my heart. And I, and I receive it. All right. So here's another portion. Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, that's Jesus, has been uh, counted worthy of much more glory than Moses. Much more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. Moses is a servant, all right, uh, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son, Jesus is the son of God. Moses is a servant of God. A servant of God will never reveal God's heart to you. It can only show you God's heart's demand. That's what all the prophets did, right? A son can reveal God's heart to you. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You believe that, church? So there's a big difference. Big difference. Moses was a servant. Jesus is the son of God. Okay? But there's also comparisons. Look at this. I told you Moses went up the mountain for 40 days twice. 40 days, 40 nights, he did it twice. Our Lord Jesus also had a 40-day, 40-night stint. Two of them. This is the first one. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Right? So 40 days, he was being tempted. Now, this was just revealed to me this week. I want you to know something. Some people say Jesus was tempted to sin. That's not true. Jesus could never be tempted to sin. The word, the, the 40 in the Bible, if you look at uh, scholars, they'll tell you 40 is the, is the number of trial, is the number of, um, it's, it's like being tested, testing or trial, okay? Uh, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Joshua was, was walking around for 40 days and 40 nights. All kinds of stuff in there about 40. There's a meaning to numbers, just like there's a meaning to names in the Bible. You, you go as deep as you want in Scripture, church. You go as deep as you want. So let me just tell you this. Jesus could never be tempted. In order to be tempted to sin, there's got to be some kind of sin element for Satan to hook on in you. Jesus had no sin. The Bible says he had no sin, did no sin, knew no sin. And so it would be impossible, impossible for Satan to tempt him to sin because he couldn't. He couldn't because he was sinless. Yes, church, you believe that? Sinless. And so when we see this and people say Jesus was tempted to sin, that's not true. 
he was tested to see that he had no sin. It's not that he wouldn't. He couldn't. And Satan figured that out. Yeah. You believe that? So I learned that this week. I just wanted to share that with you. But he was tempted, tested that he, he truly was the son of God. We drop down to uh, verse uh, 14. It says, then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit of, to Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding area. So after he was tempted, he returned with the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. After Moses went up into the, uh, the mountain, they both went up. After Moses went up in the mountain for four days, when he returned, it was with judgment because he brought down the, the law with him. You with me? There's also comparisons here. The second time Jesus uh, uh, appeared, uh, was, had a 40-day stint, was right here after he died and rose again. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Uh, also in Hawaii, oh, whoa, whoa. Oh, man. Sorry, I skipped one. I get, like, trigger-happy people. It drives my wife crazy when I'm watching TV, too. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was uh, taken up after uh, he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles from whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after Jesus died and rose again for 40 days, he appeared to many people, many people, right? And then I was going to go here, right? After he had spoken these things, he was taken up. Moses also went back up the mountain. Jesus went up, right? So we see for 40 days, 40, by the way, 40 days, so Jesus died. For 40 days, he appeared to people, and then he was taken up, and then the apostles for 10 days went into a room, right? The Holy Spirit didn't come until Pentecost. So 40 days plus 10 days is penta. That's 50. 50 days. Bible's so accurate, church. It's so accurate. 50 days. Uh, Jesus appeared for 40. He was taken up. The apostles prayed for 10 days in a room, and then the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost, and everybody received. By the way, this is really cool. When God gave the Spirit... The Bible says 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people were saved. Isn't that beautiful, man? I love that. So let me show you something real quick back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Now this is Moses reflecting back on what happened. Most people think Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, right? You could do that in a half a day or a day if you're fast. If Moses wanted to jog up the mountain, he could probably do it in a day. Listen, how many days was he up there for? Forty. So what was God talking to Moses about? You guys want to know? Come back next week. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> Check it out. Deuteronomy chapter 9. This is Moses reflecting back. Also at Herod. By the way, that's also called Mount Sinai. Same name. Okay, uh, Two different names, same mountain. Uh, Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. See, the people provoked God to wrath. You know that we talked about Exodus 12, right? The, the lamb, the night of the Passover. The church came out, they, or the, the, the Israelites came out of captivity. They were now free. They were wandering around for three, for three years. The Bible calls it a period of straight grace, that no one died, no one got sick. For three years, that no one died, no one got sick. God gave them grace, even though they complained. They're like, God, you brought us out here to die? We don't have any food. God drops a little Debbie's on them, right? We, we don't have anything to drink. God makes a rock sprinkle out some water. You with me? 
So instead of God punishing them, God gave them everything. It was a straight period of grace, and they still complained. That happens today, church. I believe deep down most people don't want grace. They feel like they have to, they have to earn their way into God's goodness. And that's a horrible place to be because you're back under law. And when God, you want to be back on the law, God will judge you by the law. He will. But listen, when you figure out that we're free from the law, that we've been set free, made free to reign in life, when you realize that's who you are, you're not under law anymore, then you start to see all of God's blessings everywhere. Right? Tell it to now look at me and say, that's, that's a blessing from God. I'm like, you're right, baby. I go into my model code. Everybody got one of them, right? Please say yes. I don't want to be the only guy posing. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. That is a supernatural fasting right there. It, it, only God can do that. And what does that tell us? The more you spend time with God, the more, the more you're not worried about food or drink. The more health comes, the more wholeness comes. Anytime you spend time with the Lord like he did, you're not worried about stuff like that. You know why? Because the Lord is your source of strength. You believe that, church? Don't just read through some of this stuff. Ask yourself, how in the world, because scientifically speaking, medically speaking today, you can't go that long without food and water. But he did. How? Because he's with the source of life. We get that opportunity every day. Every day. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them, what? No, hey. Check this out. Now, I just saw this. Y'all ready for some revelation? Then the Lord, Yahweh, delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Now, think about that. Who gave Moses the two tablets? It's written with the finger of God. There's two different names there. Jesus. Yahweh, Yahshua, gave it to him. Written with the finger of God. Do you see it, church? Or am I making it up? Can you see it? It's plain right there. It's plain now because we're looking for it. That's what I'm trying to teach you. When you start to look for Jesus in every area, you're like, whoa. Your mind is blown because you see Jesus. You have life. Right? Never did this in my, before in my life. And now I'm like, everything's about Jesus. And on them were all the words which the Lord has spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end, at the end, at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone. At the end. What does that mean? For 39 days, they were talking about something else. Yep. So you want to ask yourself, well, what in the world was so important that, that obviously Moses just didn't go up there to get the Ten Commandments. What was God talking to him about for 39 days? Wouldn't you like to know? It must have been important for him to give the law on the last day. So, uh, the tablets of the covenant. Um, then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Anybody know what that image is? A calf. Yeah, so we were talking with tonight. We're like, of all the things that you can worship, you're going to make a cow, a golden cow, and worship it. Now think about everything. You could have made a mermaid. You could have made anything. Why did I say mermaid? 
Don't read too deep into that, all right? There ain't nothing there. I'm just saying. You could have made anything. They made a cow. They, they were worshiping a cow, right? Um, you drop down. Oh, verse 15. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire. And, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So Moses was the first one to break all 10 commandments at one time. Threw them down, broke them all. See that? I love that. Yeah, so he came down. He was mad. You know why he couldn't go down there? Because he, if he went down there with the law, they would all die. Because he had, by the law, is the knowledge of sin, right? And, and, and the sting of sin is in the law. The sting of death is found in the law. They would all die. So God was okay with him breaking them. But he had to go back up for another 40 days and another 40 nights, just like the first time. Okay? Now, when he went back up the second time, he's like, I'm going up to make intercession. I don't know what's going to happen, right? He didn't know. He was unsure about it. But let me tell you something. That day that Jesus was received into heaven, he was sure about it. He knew that he was our intercessor, and he knew we were un on, on unshakable ground, that we were completely forgiven. That's the difference. That's Deuteronomy 9. Let's go to Exodus 32. This is, uh, this is back when he first went up, okay? Actually, this is, this is what, what he saw when he came down the mountain. We always think people were just standing around the golden calf. They were naked. He came down and saw a bunch of naked people hanging around a cow. Right? That would make you stop for a second. Would you stop? I mean, that's what it says. Right? Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, the word in Hebrew is butt naked. Not butt naked, naked. For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill, kill. That's what the law does. Let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 people fell that day. That's the first Pentecost. The Bible calls it the first Pentecost. The first Pentecost, 50 days after they came out. 50 days after that, we find ourselves right here. The Bible says that God gave a law, the letter, 3,000 people died. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. The Bible says that the day of Pentecost had fully come, fully come. Right? God gave not the letter, but the spirit, and 3,000 people were saved. That's why the Bible says in Corinthians, man, the letter, by the letter, is the knowledge of death. People die under the letter. But when God gives the spirit, people live. That's the new covenant. You think 3,000 is in there by chance? No, it's in there by, on purpose. God knows what he's talking about. God knew what he was doing. God said, man, under the law, people die. Under, under the spirit, people live. You believe that? Yeah, man, it's right there, right? So not only that, under law, 
Under law, the law says everything about you. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Right? And that's what the letter does. It puts it on you. You shall not, you shall not. And it's all about what you do. Under grace, in Acts chapter 2, under the Spirit, when the Spirit comes fully, the Bible says that they went around speaking in different tongues of the wonderful works of God. So when God gives the Spirit, the, the Pentecost had fully come, people start talking about the things of God and not the things of them, not what they do. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's move on. Exodus 24. There's only one chapter devoted to God's creation. God's creation. When God created the world, the heavens, and all that. Genesis chapter 1. There's six, six chapters devoted to to uh, to to talking about um, Jesus being a sacrificial lamb. Everything about Jesus. Redemption. That's the word. Redemption. Six chapters in Exodus. And in Exodus 25 is where it starts. So Exodus 25 to 31. There's six chapters of what God's talking to Moses up on the mountain. Okay, He didn't just go up to get the Ten Commandments. We see that now, right? He was talking about something. What was on God's heart the whole time he's talking about this? We're going to see it here, okay? But this is Exodus 24, right before that. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is the first trip that Moses went up there. Okay, not the second. First, very next. Oh, check this out. This is what I want you to see. I want you to see that when we go to the Holy Land, you're going to see this. It's pretty awesome. So what we have here is, is God's going to talk to Moses about the temple and all the furniture in the temple. Okay? And, and this is this is kind of how the temple works. You come in from the east side. Okay? Come in through the curtain from the east side. This right here, guys, is, is, is the holy place. Okay? Over here, holy of holies. You with me? There's a there's a thick curtain right there. Only the high priest can go in there. You with me? So it's 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 like this for a reason. You have three pieces of furniture in there. You have the, the, the what they call the can the menorah, okay, down here. The menorah is on the south side. The table of showbread is on the north side. And you got the altar of incense right here where, where the priest would make intercession for the people, okay? And then inside, you have the Ark of the Covenant. We have no Anyway, that's the temple. So this is what God's going to talk to him about. Okay, how many of you guys knew that? The, the whole time, he didn't just go up to get the Ten Commandments. This is where he got the, the directions for how to make the temple. The temple. The, listen, church, today, what it means for us today, the present truth is we are the temple. We, we are the temple. All that stuff is right here in the form of Jesus. Every piece of furniture in there, from the curtains to the furniture, is about Jesus. And we're going to see it. It was God's heart the whole time. He knew that he was given the law, but before he gave the law, he wanted to tell him about his son, Jesus, and, and redemption, and what Jesus would do for him because of the law, to give us hope. If we're judged based on the law, we have no hope. I sound like a 14-year-old boy up here, losing my voice, going through puberty. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> don't be sending me no email. All right, Exodus 25. Exodus 25. This is the first chapter of those six chapters I was telling you about. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Here's the Ten Commandments. No, 
That was on the last day. It was the first day. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly. That's why I was telling you earlier, willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. God wants you to give willingly. If you're giving from a stubborn, from checking a box kind of thing, it does you no good. But if you give willingly because you know who he is, you know what he'll do for you. That's when you see that blessing. Amen. Right there. All right. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze. Now, let me ask you something. They just came out of captivity. How in the world do they have gold, silver, and bronze? The Egyptians, when that, when that uh, Red Sea closed back down on them, the Bible specifically says they dressed up in all their royal gala, the, the gold, the bronze, all that. They, they, they wanted to show out who they were, and God took it from them. He caused it to crash on them. And then now all that stuff's floating around, and the Israelites were told to go and get it. They didn't have to do anything for it. There was a financial transfer from the world to the people of God. That's what that's good news for you today, church. Whenever you see a financial downturn, know that there's not one in heaven. Know that the Lord is going to still take care of you. He always does. Our faith and our hope is in the Lord, not in our job, not in the, the, the worldly economics. It's in the Lord taking care of us. Do you believe that, church? Yeah. So look, uh, Gold, silver, and bronze, he wanted them to bring it. See the blue, purple, and scarlet thread? Blue, purple, and scarlet, always in that order. Blue, purple, and scarlet. Blue, guys, if you're thinking about Jesus, ask yourself, whenever you see something so distinctive, so um, God just describes it in great detail, there's something there. You see the blue, you see the purple, and the scarlet thread. Blue represents heaven. Blue represents heaven. From the heavens, where did Jesus come from? From the heavens, purple, royalty, always royalty. Scarlet is a picture of suffering, one, but it's also what the Jewish kings would wear because they didn't want to wear purple. In fact, when they beat Jesus and spit on Jesus, they put a scarlet robe on him, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. The, the Jewish kings wore scarlet because they wanted to separate themselves from the worldly kings. You with me? So, and it also is from the word Adam, which is a uh, red-blooded man, right? That's what Adam stands for. So, if you look at blue, purple, and scarlet, you can literally say you got Jesus from heaven, the blue, right? You got the scarlet. He's the king of the Jews, the king of Adam, the earth. And in the middle is purple, it's royalty. Now, here's the question. What, how do you get the color purple? What two colors make the color purple? Red and blue. Red and blue. So, you got red. You got you, that's what Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's unbelievable when you start to see stuff. You got blue. You got scarlet. They come together, and the, you got Jesus, who's the King of Heaven and the King of the Earth. Scarlet thread, right? Fine linen. Fine linen is what the high priest wear. Who's your high priest today, Church? Jesus. Yeah, he's our great high priest. It, it also is a is a picture of no work. Uh, you don't sweat when you wear linen. That's why the work today that Jesus has, he's not sweating. He, it, it's already finished. That's why he's seated at the right hand of God. Hey, that's for somebody to receive. I can't receive it for you, right? Goat's hair. Uh, the, the old prophets would wear goat's hair. That's what they, or camel hair. That's what the Bible refers to Jesus as the greatest prophet. You believe that? Ramskins dyed red. Ramskin, and what the what the, the Levites would do, the, the people of Aaron, right, the priests, they would, it's, it's about consecrating. Instead of uh, sacrificing a bull, they would sacrifice a ram. And, and it's a picture of them consecrating themselves, setting themselves apart. Has Jesus set himself apart? Yeah. 
He did a perfect work. He is the great high priest. Um, oil, oh, badger skin. This is going to blow your mind. So you can research this. In the Talmud, anybody know what a Talmud is? Jewish uh, tradition, Jewish history, yeah? It goes back as far as the Bible goes back. The Talmud, it's their history book. It says that that is literally a seal skin. And seal skin is used for the covering. They make shoes out of it. They make shoes. It's literally, it's a covering, right? Do you know what the top layer of the roof of the temple is made out of? Seal skin, right? It's a covering. Is Jesus known as our covering today? Yeah. His blood covers us today. And it's and it's in it's it's incorruptible covering is why they used it. Okay? How many of you guys knew that? I didn't know that. Huh. Uh we got uh Archaea wood. You've heard me talk about it. that's what that thing's made out of. The Ark of the Covenant. Well not that literally in the the Ark of the Covenant is made out of Archaea wood. It's the strongest incorruptible wood. It would last forever. It speaks to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is completely incorruptible. That's who he is, right? It's covered in gold. That means that it's it, it, wood represents humanity. He's fully human, yet the gold, the pure gold, he's fully deity. He's fully God. He's both. You see Jesus in there, guys? This is God talking. Why else would he be telling him all these little nuggets if it wasn't about Jesus? I want you to see everything God does is about his son. And ultimately, it transfers to you. It's because he loves you. He's for you. All this stuff is, is the point to Jesus so that you can have life, knowing that what Jesus did, he completely covered, not just covered, the Bible says he obliterated the law for us. So Moses, does Moses have a pen back then? Is he like, what, what, what was that, purple what? Purple. Red, purple, blue? That's like, oh my knee. <laughs> He's like, oh my knee. Right? No, he doesn't. The, the the point is, man, God, when, when you spend time with God like that, you don't have to remember this. How am I going to memorize this, man? How am I going to get this? God will give you a piece about it. You'll be able to receive it all. That's what I tell kids, man, before they go on this big test. Man, relax. You already have the knowledge. The, the Lord is giving you wisdom. And the more you rest and you're not stressing, you can think clearly. You already have the answers. They're in you. Amen? Woo. Listen, there's a lot. There's onyx stones that go on there. Um, the oil is the Holy Spirit in there. We can go on and on and on. Look, but right here at the end. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God wanted to dwell with them. Even though they sinned, God wanted to dwell with them. Today, the, the God, the creator of the universe, dwells in us. We are the temple. And that can only be done by Jesus. Jesus has given us that ability to be to let God dwell in us. Do you, do you receive that, church? Right. All right. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. He's like, Moses, make it exactly that way. And then he goes on. And they shall make an ark of Achaia wood, right? Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half, uh, the height, and you shall overlay it with pure gold. Gold Gold is righteousness in the Bible. Pure gold is deity in the Bible. So he is fully 100% man and 100% God. That's what I was telling you earlier. And you overlay it inside now. You shall overlay it and you shall make it a molding of gold all around. Okay? I believe we dropped down here. Yeah. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. 
two cherubim of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. You guys remember the mercy seat? It sits on top of it. It's one piece of gold, and it's hammered. It's beaten. It's beaten, church. It's beaten. It's a representation of Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrew that Jesus is our mercy seat. And so when you see Jesus on that mercy seat, you, the blood, that's where they would sacrifice the blood. And they take it into that holy of holies, and the priest would sprinkle blood seven times. Why? Seven times. The Bible says in front of it, seven times. It symbolizes that by the blood of Jesus, we have perfect standing before the Father. And the Bible says that on that mercy seat, there's two cherubim looking down. They're looking at the mercy seat. They're not looking at the sinner. They're not looking at the high priest. They're looking at the blood. And God says, man, that's where I'll meet with you, right there, right where the blood is shed. That's where I'll meet with you. That's where I'll talk with you. In other words, if you come to God by the law, he's not going to talk to you like he wants to talk to you. But when you come to him by grace, when you see the sacrifice, you bring Jesus to him. That's what God wants to talk to you. And he'll let you know he loves you. Because of the blood. And they're looking at it, man. They're looking at the blood, the cherubim. Where's the first place we see cherubim in the Bible? They're only mentioned a couple of times. They're not angels. They're a living being, but they're not angels. The first time we see them is in the Garden of Eden when sin came and man was kicked out. And God placed a cherubim there with a sword that went all different directions. It was like a lightsaber. All over that. That's how I read the Bible. I see that brother in a cloak. Anybody else see that? No? So there's a cherubim. What's he guarding? He's guarding God's holiness. That's what he is. So a cherubim, is, and when we see him in the original form, he's guarding God's holiness. In other words, if you don't, if you break any of God's holiness, man, he's there to judge you. He's not there to give you mercy. He's there to judge you. But what are they looking at? They're looking at the blood. They're not looking at us. They know that when they see the blood, we've been judged righteous. They're looking at the blood. That's a beautiful sign for us, man. Hammer work, you shall make them out of the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim at one end and the other cherubim at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. That's beautiful, man. The mercy seat is Jesus. That's where the sacrifice would take place. I love that, man. And then and it goes on in verse 20. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. Not the center, the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. The Ten Commandments went in the ark. We know that the word for ark in Hebrew is coffin. God said, put man's rejection of me in the coffin and overlay it with the blood. And when I see the blood, I won't see their rejection of me. His grace is better, is much more than your sin. That's why the Bible says that you can fall from grace when you go back to the law. In order to get back to the law, you got to lift up the mercy seat. Anybody want to take away Jesus? I don't. But that's what we're saying when we say, hey, God, judge me by the law. And we want to get the Ten Commandments back out. You're literally lifting up the mercy seat to do that. You're like, God's like, don't do that. Keep the mercy seat where it's at. Amen. I love that, that he put the testimony in there, the Ten Commandments, and he covered it. He put it in the coffin, guys, and covered it with the blood of Jesus. Check this out in John chapter 20. Woo, woo, whoa. They ain't got a mind of its own. 
Right. But Mary, this is after Jesus rose, but Mary stood outside of the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, sitting. This is the first place we see angels sitting. First place we see angels sitting. What's that mean? The work is finished, church. They knew the work was finished. Yeah, it's the first time we see it. That's interesting. All right, they were sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So you got an angel sitting at the head, an angel sitting at the feet, the bloody clothes right there that Jesus was wearing in the middle. Mary saw the true Ark of the Covenant. She saw the true mercy seat. She got to see it. I love that. And Jesus gave that honor to a woman. You know why? You know why he wants women to know? That you are just as qualified to go out there and speak the word of God. You are just as qualified to go out there and change the world. Don't ever forget that. That's why we have women do communion. We want you to know you're just as qualified. It wasn't that way when I was growing up. You had to work your way up to be able to do that. It was an honor. It's still an honor. But the honor is not given by men. It's given by Jesus. And you are well, well qualified to be able to serve communion. So, next piece, next piece. We talked about the ark. Now we're talking about the table of showbread. It's, the, it's another piece of furniture that's in there, right? On it, there's going to be 12 loaves of bread. The 12 loaves of bread represent the 12 tribes. You with me? Everybody with me? We're almost done. This is also the other piece of furniture. You got the, the, uh, the candlestick, the menorah, right? And what I want you to notice is see the, the lamps, how the lamps are at the top. And the Bible specifically says that the, the the, the lamps are to face the center lamp. It's very specific about that. That the wicks are to be the front and toward the center of the middle one. We'll get to that in just a second. I want to show you this. So let's go back to Exodus real quick. And there I will meet with you. He's talking about the mercy seat. And he's meeting with you. He meets with you at the mercy seat. I love that about our Lord. Yes? Uh, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are on the Ark of the Testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. That's where God would speak to him from, the mercy seat. God speaks from mercy. It doesn't say judgment. It doesn't say God will speak to you from the judgment seat. It says God loves his heart is to speak to you from the mercy seat because he knows we need it. Mercy is something you can't earn. You can't pay for it. How are the kids doing it these days? You can't pay for it. No, it's like, it's all about the money, money, money. That's your special song for the day, by the way. Boom, did we already do this? Oh, you shall make a table. Tables made out of the same wood, right? It's also going to be covered in gold. Uh, you shall overlay it with pure gold and, and make a molding of gold all around it. The molding of gold is all around the table. Um, you shall make for it a frame of hand breadth. All around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around, and you shall make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings on the four corners that are on the four legs. And he's very specific, guys. I can even go deeper, but because of time, I'm not, right? The, the rings shall be clo close to the frame as holders for the poles and the bears and the table. Uh, and you shall make the poles of a pair of wood. He's talking about you shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me 
always. God said, put the bread before me. The bread is for the Lord. The bread is for the Lord. In other words, what's that mean for us today? That means, that's a picture of Jesus. Listen, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, right? It, that's what Jesus is. And, and God's saying that bread is for me. How do we feel God? How do we give God food? How do we how do we make God full? You remember the story of the woman at the well? When I told you this last week. Jesus was there. The woman came. She came and 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 she was trying to get water. And 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 but before that, Jesus had sent the disciples to go get what? Food, right? So they went to get food because he was hungry. Well, he talked to the woman. The woman said, "Hey, <laughs> I, I'm here to get water." Jesus said, "If you get water from me, you'll never thirst again." And she received that. That's to make it short, right? She received that. She went back and she told everybody about Jesus. The first evangelist. She told everybody about Jesus. It was beautiful. And then the disciples came back with food. And Jesus said, hey, I got food you don't even know nothing about. I got food you can't understand. In other words, Jesus was full. What made Jesus full? The more that woman took from Jesus, the more full he was. So for us today, the more you take from Jesus, the more full he gets. He loves when you depend on him and not yourself. He loves when you take and take and take. And see, religion has jacked that up. It's, you got to give, you got to give, you got to give. You can't give nothing to the Lord. He owns it all. What he's wanting you to do is take from him. When you take from him, that fills him up. And that's why that bread is always before him. Not the priests, not the Jews, the Jerusalem, not the Israelites. It's for God. And that's why when we partake of Jesus, when we read his word, when we're feeding on the word of God and we're, and we're feeding on the finished work of Jesus, we have life and it fills God. It, it fills him to know that we are partaking of Jesus. That table of showbread is all about Jesus. He is the bread of life. No doubt about it. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. A lampstand shall be hammered work, hammered, hammered, hammered work. Its shaft and its branches, its bowls, its ornament knobs, and flowers shall be of one piece. It's one solid piece of gold, guys. And, and six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches out of the lampstand on the other side. Anybody can picture that manure in your head? You got three branches. Three branches. You got one in the middle. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He's the middle one. Everything else flows from him. There it is, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. But everything flows from him. With him, on the other hand, with him you can do everything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it, right? Uh, and, and its wicks, trimmers, and their tray shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold. That means it has a value uh, with all these utensils. And we see here, and, and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. You remember in uh, the book of Revelation, John saw a vision of Jesus as he was standing in the midst of the lamp stands. Standing in the midst of the lampstands. There are churches. The, 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 the seven lampstands, seven gold lampstands, seven churches. Right? And Jesus is in the middle of them. He's in the middle of them. And they're looking at him. And only two of those churches were rebuked. You know why they were rebuked? And, and he took their lampstand away. You're like, why did he do that, man? Why would they take it? That means the church, it's not that the, the church 
dies is that your church stopped living. And instead of God letting that church continue and, 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 and bringing shame to him and what Jesus has done, he'll, he'll turn out their lamp. It closed down the business. But the church is still alive because the church is not the building. The church is the people. It's the people. So where did the church come from? Out of his side. Out of his side is where the church came from. So, so that's what the candlestick is. It's a representation of Jesus. And everything points to Jesus. That every ministry in, within the church points to Jesus. And that's why it's a good idea that if you're speaking for Jesus and you do something incredible and people come up to you and pat you on the back and say, hey, man, that was awesome. You need to find a place somewhere right after that and say, all glory goes to you, Jesus. Thank you for using me, but all glory goes to you. Everything's got to be about Jesus. It's got to point back to Jesus. Last thing, all right? There's one piece of furniture missing. Remember there are three. Table of showbread, the menorah. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody know what's missing? It's not discussed in that chapter, the altar of incense. Why is the altar of incense not discovered there? It's not talked about there. That's crazy. You think God's crazy? Or you think God's got a plan? God's got a plan. Always. Yeah, don't ever say God's crazy. He's got a plan. <laughs> He's got a plan. Look, he doesn't talk to him about it in the same chapter, though. So what does he talk about next? If you go to 26.1, he talks about the curtains of the tabernacle. He talks about how to make them, the thread and all that stuff. And then he talks about in Genesis or Exodus uh, 28, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron and his brother. And in 28 and 29, he talks about separating the, the high priests and consecrating them. And then finally, finally, in chapter 30, he says, you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of okay of wood. The, the chapter right before he ends, right, it's number, it's number five or six, he talks about the, earth, the burnt offering. And why is that important? Because you cannot have intercession without a high priest. You have to have a high priest first. And he talks about the high priest. He talks about the curtains and all that stuff. He talks about concentrating the high priest. And once you have a high priest set in place, then you can have intercession. The, the, the high priest goes to make intercession for you. That's what he did for the Israelites. And listen, if they had sin or if he had sin, he would die. And they would not be blessed for the next year. But he represented them. He represented the people. So it's your representation. There was a chance they could be good or bad. And whether they were meant that you were either blessed or not blessed. For us today, church, we don't ever have to question that. We don't have to question whether or not we can talk to God. We don't have to question whether or not God's going to bless us. We know because we know our high priest is perfect. He's perfect. He's the definition of perfection. So you go to Romans 8.34. He's talking about that. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for you. In other words, every time you fail, how many of you guys fail? Every time you fail, see Satan jumps on you and says, hey man, God doesn't want to talk to you right now. You're like, wait a minute, Jesus is intercession for me. Jesus is making intercession for me. That means that I can talk to my father. You got Jesus as an advocate up there. Don't let anybody tell you that he's not an advocate for you. He is always an advocate for you. When you fail, he stands in the courtroom of God, right? He's got a really good, close relationship with the judge. And let me just tell you this. Jesus has never lost a case. Now, you want somebody to represent you in a courtroom and on this earth? You want them to be legit. 
right? I don't want just anybody representing me. There could be some best friends that love me to death. I'm like, bro, you can't talk about me. But Jesus is our representation. Jesus is making intercession for us. The moment we sin, he does it. He doesn't let him collect. And at the end of the week, oh, here's the case of Tory Rumor. Man, he did a lot this week. Right? That's not what God does. You are forgiven the moment you sin. That's how great Jesus is. That's how great the work is Jesus did. That's how much he loves you. The, the Bible says that in the moment you sin, you receive the grace. Amen. Does that make you want to keep sinning? I'm forgiven. F you. I'm forgiven. Right? No. That doesn't make you want to cuss. It makes you very appreciative of what has been done for you. Do you believe that, church? Sorry about that example. Man, sorry, B. Don't tell mom. Guys, I'm just keeping it real. Thank you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't make you want to sin. People say that kind of teaching makes you want to sin. That's the opposite. The Bible says under grace, sin loses its power. I said I'm sorry, man. Do not send an email. It gets deleted. You know my heart. Amen. To the pure, all things are pure. Last part. When you don't know what to do, go back to Scripture. Hebrews. All right. For, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment. Think about that. The Ten Commandments. There's an annulling of them. What does that mean, church? It means they're canceled. An annulling. Of the, of the knowing of the former commandments. Why? Because they were weak and they were unprofitable. You know why they were weak? Because they were put on us. And God knows we can't keep them because we're weak. He knows we'd break them. And they were unprofitable to God because he loves us. And he knew he couldn't love us. His true nature couldn't come out if we were still under law because we would fail all the time. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to keep the law that we couldn't keep. That's why it's annulled. It was weak and it was unprofitable for God. If you want God, God saw that it was profitable to send his son to take our place because he wants to love us. People, not just the church, people. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Draw near to God on a better hope. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, come about Jesus, for they have become priests without an oath. But he, with an oath by him who said to him, in other words, Jesus' oath was made with the Father. They're one. He made an oath with himself. That's what he did when he gave Abraham the gift of righteousness. He made an oath with himself, caused Abraham to sleep. Right? Then the Lord has sworn and will not relent. What will he not relent about? He's not sorry that the law is gone. He's not going to apologize for it because he had to apologize for his son. Right? You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Not Aaron, Melchizedek. Why Melchizedek? Melchizedek is a priest that only blessed. He only blessed. Aaron would curse and bless depending on you. Melchizedek only blessed. That's who Jesus is today. 
right? Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. That's who we are today. We can be sure that we're under a better covenant, right? Also, there were many priests because they were uh, prevented by death from continuing because they would die. They weren't perfect, but we have a perfect priest. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. To the uttermost, church, he's able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless. Guys, Jesus is harmless. He's harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. That's who Jesus is today. Last verse, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all, church, once and for all when he offered up himself, right? For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law, came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. That's who you are under. We're under a new covenant of a perfected Jesus. He's able to save to the uttermost all those who come from the guttermost. You know what I'm saying? You can be full of sin. You can have a dark past, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus doesn't care. He says that your past doesn't determine your future. He says, I can still use you. I can use you to change lives all over the place. Trust me. Put your heart in my heart. Let me, let me show you my love for you. If that's you today, church, you have an opportunity to do that. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you never ex 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 accepted Jesus with your mouth and say and confess him as Lord of your life. You can do that now. It takes a minute to do that. A minute can change your life. A minute can not only change your life, not only change your family's life, but generations after you because they will see what God has done in your life. They will see it, church. Trust me, when he said that, thank God that God doesn't look at our past, man, we are new creations. You can be a new creation in an instant by saying those words. Don't walk out of here without praying that prayer with us. We will do it for you right out there. We'll do it up here. We're not doing religion here. We don't kill a song and make somebody walk down here and guilt you into coming down here. That's not what we do. We give glory to the Lord after every time we preach, whether it's him or me, every time we sing, we want you to stand up. Do it now, church. Stand up and give glory to the only one who deserves it. How would you give glory to someone who saved your life like that? I know what time it is. We don't ever go this long, but the Lord was saying some stuff. Somebody needed to hear it this morning, yeah? Hey, if you want to pray that prayer with me, please find me afterwards and let me pray that prayer with you. It'll change your life. I know it's changed my life. Can anybody else testify to Jesus changing your life? Yeah. Let me pray that prayer with you. If you're looking to join a church, this is who we are. We have a thing down here that you can sign. Um, one sheet for each person, if you would, please. And, and we'll get back and get in contact with you. Uh, if you have any prayer requests, there's a couple of things I want as a church family to be praying. We have two beautiful young ladies back there who are pregnant. My wife is not one of them. But they are beside my wife, like cherubim. <laughs> hey, I'll make you the mercy seat, baby. Anyway, pray for them this week. There's a bet going on which one's going to have the baby first. Y'all want to get in on that? It's going to be 
as poor, don't see me as a joke. No, we know. Um, and a couple other prayer requests. Continue to pray for Miss Bennett. If you need specific prayer, man, find me. I'll pray with you. I'm feeling the spirit of God is all over us right now. And we'll just pray truth into your life. Don't walk out of here with that. Ignore all this, okay? It's going to be gone. Just like when Moses came down, his face was glowing. It went away. This will be gone away in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Glenn's going to come up real quick. Pray a prayer over you. It, yes, my wife is. Pray. Well, since you think that, then you should have them come up here and do that. Man, you taking notes? <laughs> when your wife says, I think, say, I do too, baby. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, if you feel led to come down and just lay hands on him, um, if not, you can just sit where you are right there. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to come together in one accord, Father, in unity, Father, to just lift up these beautiful women, Lord, and the babies that they carry, Lord. We thank you for uh, just a wonderful pregnancy, and, and, and we thank you for the delivery, Lord. We thank you for uh, the increase that you're bringing about in their lives and their families and their households, Father. And we ask God that you would just touch them in a special way, Father. May your peace that surpasses all understanding be upon them. May they have comfort, Father, and strength, Father, to to push, Father, these babies out and into and into this world, Father, that we may see them and behold them and and give you glory for them and to love them, Father. We thank you for uh, anointing and appointing these mothers, Father, to to raise godly children, Father, that would honor you all the days of their life, Father. We thank you for the special anointing that you uh, you put on them as mothers, fathers, parents, Lord, and we as God, we just ask that you would just continue to lead them in your way, Father Jesus. We know that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and we thank you for uh, ordering their steps and, and giving them wisdom, Father, beyond their years and beyond this world. And we thank you for uh, knowledge and understanding on how to uh, to rear their children, Father, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And we just thank you for blessing them, Father. We thank you, Father, for the fruit of the womb. We thank you, Father, for just causing them to uh, uh, to be uh, bountiful blessing. And we thank you, Father, for the legacy uh, that you're going to give them in their children, Father, your seed that's been sown. And we thank you for uh, just touching their lives, Father, in a special way. We thank you, Lord, for this. Uh, this service, Lord, this opportunity to hear your word and to receive life and to be encouraged, to be edified, to be equipped. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come into this place to worship you, to honor you, Father. And thank you for blessing us, Father, with your word and blessing us, Father, with strength and blessing us, God, with courage. Father, and blessing us, Lord, with faith, Lord. Your blessing just continues to come and continues to flow and to pour out over our lives. And we just thank you so much for it, God. We don't take it for granted. We thank you, Lord, for equipping us to do what you called us to do, Father. And as we leave this place, Father, may we take the good news with us, Father. May we take the favor, God, that you've poured out on our lives in abundance, Father. May we share it. May we give it to others, Father. May we show mercy, Father. We know that you desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so, Father, the same mercy that we have freely received, Father, may we give uh, to those who we come in contact with. We thank you for blessing the work of our hands and causing us to increase in all that we do. We ask that we uh, continue to do so, Father, as you lead us. In Jesus' name, let the church say, Amen. Amen. We are dismissed.